The Jen Charlton Show on 930 WFMD and WFMD.com. Telling it like it is with your host, Jen Charlton. Good morning, everyone. It's so great to have you here with us. And what a week of revelations, really. And I'm I'm glad that I have the opportunity here at WFMD to share this information with you because I'm not sure you would have gotten it because it has not been promoted whatsoever unless I had gone there and witnessed this and then pulled the audio down. We're pulling it off of C-SPAN. So we appreciate that they were there covering this field hearing that was held by Representative Matt Gates and Marjorie Taylor Greene and others about the J-6 um, really horror that people are enduring who have been judicially dinged, uh, and it's not even begins to tell the all of it, uh, but they've been basically harassed through the DOJ system. And some of it's just based on flat-out lies and overreach and abuse of power and all of that. So I went down. I just happened to be going to the D.C. area and learned of this hearing. And I said, I'm going to rearrange my day to attend. And I did. And what an amazing um information flow so i thought it was important for me to share this with you today and i want to say that what i witnessed in that room and what i learned about what these people are going through was more than i already knew which is a lot and unfortunately most people will never learn this information and they won't learn it for sure if you don't share it. So we're doing, uh, you know, our podcasts on WFMD.com. And you can go in there and share those podcasts. And it's really important to get the information out. But furthermore, I, I'm going to request that as you listen to this, you think about who you're going to contact, write, call, to voice your, your indignation about what's been going on. We must stop the corruption of the federal government agencies against we the people. It's time. We're going to start this morning with Marjorie Taylor Greene. And this is about two-thirds of the way through the hearing, but I think it speaks to a lot of the background that I want you to have, and then we'll we'll bring some of the other information forward in the next half. So here is Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene speaking to various witnesses. I'll cut in as appropriate to let you know. First of all, I'd like to thank each of you uh, for being here. Um, and the, it, it, I, it's so heavy on my heart that we're doing this today when President Trump is being arraigned all because of the weaponized government that's been weaponized against each of you and it all started on the day on january 6th when we were just doing our constitutional duty to object to joe biden's fraudulent electoral college votes because we all believed that the election had been stolen and i can't believe that we're here talking about this but first i'd like to express my deepest sympathy for each of you and all the pain and suffering that you've all had to go through. Um. So what she's talking about is there are six uh, people testifying with various 
uh, experiences in this J6 nightmare. Uh, one is a, Assistant Attorney General Jeff Clark, who worked in the DOJ system and was attacked by his own people, basically. The next person is Ed Martin. Ed is an attorney for three of the defendants and uh, an amazing guy. I've met him and just a real patriot and a great guy who has extensive experience, used to be the attorney for the governor of Missouri. And so he's deep in uh, all of this from a political standpoint, but also a legal standpoint. Then there's Jerry Perna, who I've played here before. She is the aunt of Matthew Perna, who took his own life because of what they put him through, the trauma of it all, the lies, the deceit, the stringing along, the manipulation. It was too much for him. And he was a strong man. It would break anyone. And it has, in many cases... What you're going to hear today is people pled guilty just because they didn't have any hope that they'd have a fair trial by a jury of their peers. I mean, it violates everything we stand for. The next person is Sarah Maccabee. She is the wife of a man who has been charged. He was actually a deputy sheriff. And they lied about his story and what happened. And there's also um, Brandon Straka, who's a well-known, you know, personality. And he has been, uh, he took a plea and his testimony is stunning. And then the last person is a guy named John Strand, who supported Dr. Simone Gold during the whole medical freedom situation. And uh, he's looking at going to jail now for three years. And it's absolutely atrocious what's going on right now. And you'll hear some of them. I will put the link for the entire one and a half hour hearing on the podcast. So I recommend everybody listen to this in its entirety several times. Here you go. Marjorie Taylor Greene. ...of this government, and it's wrong. And I can tell you right now, there's many of us that have vowed we're doing everything we can to defund the Department of Justice, to defund the FBI, and to fight the weaponized government. But I want to explain also uh, the serious situation this, that this is in, that we are all in. We have no control over the Department of Justice right now. We have no control over the FBI because we do not control the White House. And that means that, that everything from January 6th tapes if they were to get out, and I support releasing them, I've said it all along, but if they do get out, sedition hunters will come. And I know that everybody can look at it and say, we all know who everyone is now, but at the same time, that means that the Department of Justice will be coming after more people. I don't want to see anyone end up like Matthew Perna. Okay, so here's what I want to kind of lay out for you. Um, sedition hunters means that people are literally using technology to go through these tapes and identify other individuals that they can charge they're trying to make people's lives miserable because they showed up to an event and expressed their first amendment rights the other thing to remember is that the fbi and the doj are housed inside the executive branch they shouldn't be 
There's no way that they should be sitting under the power and control of a White House, particularly when it's likely that that White House is not serving the best interests of the people. So it is my recommendation, if anybody cares, that we move the FBI and the DOJ if it survives all of this because they're talking about defunding and it should be. Uh, moved out from outside of the executive branch so that it cannot be politicized to the will of a few against the will of the people. Here we go. do not want to see anyone end up like Matthew Perna, Jerry. That's too much. I don't want to see anyone end up like you, Brandon. I don't want to see anyone go through what your family's going through. John, I don't want to see you go to jail. I don't want to see it, and I don't want to see this happen to any more people because of sick evil people that believe that 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 they have to hunt people down using facial recognition software and go after more people i don't want to see that um, it, it's it's too much um, and i would like to taylor hansen is here today and uh... if someone would mind letting him sit in um, Taylor, could you give just a brief uh, bio about yourself? And I invited Taylor here today because Taylor's an eyewitness and videoed uh, Ashley Babbitt's murder. And I invited him here today because I, I wanted him to be able to talk about it. Thank you guys for having me now that the button works. Um, my name is Taylor Hansen. I'm an independent journalist and field reporter. I was there on January 6th to document uh, what I believed was going to be left-wing violence um, due to the constant pattern of the MAGA Million March and people uh, you know, being violently attacked by left-wing organizations. So you know, I showed up to the Capitol. I was at the Ellipse. And the next thing I knew, you know, I overheard a group this is around, I want to say, 1220. Um, talking about, hey, we're going to form a group, we're going to the Capitol early, um, you know, we're going to march in a few minutes. So I thought that was kind of suspicious, and naturally I just followed them. And this group actually ended up being the very first group to breach the initial barriers. Um, this group had Ray Epps in it, had uh, Ryan Samsel in it, amongst many other people. Mm -hmm. And after those first initial barriers were actually breached, um, there was almost, I would say, about 10 to 15 minutes of people just gathering um, you know in this area and when you're behind you couldn't even tell what was going on you know you're a hundred people behind you can't tell what's going on right in front of you so there's just this surge of people continuously pushing in and I'm at the very front and I can see this everybody's being peaceful at this moment and that's when uh, as the crowd forms um, you know people are singing the national anthem people are being patriotic um, they're doing their due rights and protesting their uh, you know doing their first amendment rights and Can that's I when pause you for one second mm -hmm. was president trump still speaking at the ellipse yes. at this time by the time the capital was breached trump was still speaking yes okay i'm sorry you can continue mm -hmm. and um that's when the first concussion grenade flew over my head and deep into the crowd and I noticed this hit children that were in the crowd, it hit uh, elderly people, it hit women. And at that moment, the tone completely changed. Um, it was a complete 180. And I've covered, you know. Okay, so what he's saying is the police launched into the crowd. They instigated a conflict. That's what happened. Here we go. Taylor Hansen. So all the 2020 riots, I was on the ground consistently. I have still to this day never seen a reaction of law enforcement like they did that day. Um, you know, I would say that they did start it. 
Um, that's not a common reoccurrence from what I've seen at these riots or these protests. And that first initial grenade went by, and then it was just a barrage of grenades. I lost count. I had to put people out that were on fire. Um, people had holes in their cheeks from rubber munitions that weren't being violent. They were standing back. And that's when the initial crowd uh, was pushed even farther from the crowd surge. Uh, a man named Derek Vargo was pushed off the side of the ledge um, as he was going up the wall. And that caused almost a stampede of sorts. Um, and up we went up the stairs. I recall going up the stairs with everybody. And there was these double doors that were wide open. Um, and people were just flowing in. There was three cops in sight as I arrived to the top of the Capitol. Um, they were directly to the right of me. I entered in the west wing door. Um, they were just standing around. They were drinking water, handing out water bottles to people, to protesters, actually. And, you know, I, I remember going into the Capitol, um, walking down the hallway. Um, everybody's chanting, stop the steal, no violence. Okay, they're handing out water. That's something you do as an act of hosting people. <laughs> like, they come to your home, you say, can I get you a drink? That's the first thing you ask people. The police were handing out water. They weren't handing out handcuffs. Here we go. Violence yet. I haven't seen pretty much anything. And except violence from ex except the violence from the police. Capitol and I had police. seen people fighting back. And you did have the occasional uh, person in the crowd with a gas mask that was unidentifiable. I actually have a video of someone that I recognize from my time reporting in Portland, Oregon, um, that is affiliated with Antifa. What is his Antifa name? Press. Um, I don't have her identity. Okay. Um, but I recognized her, and I said, "Oh, hey, you're from Portland. I recognize you." And this is all on video. And she nods her head, and then kind of brushes me off and hurry and runs. And then she's later seen setting up what seems to be a, uh, a shot of one of her other friends that was there also uh, committing violence against the police. And let me ask you another. Okay, uh, just just a little further. You covered all the Antifa and BLM riots across the country. Right. Was Antifa in the crowd that day? And, and could you speak to their involvement? Can we just go a little longer for this? Yeah, case? I mean, they were unequivocally, without a doubt, in the crowd that day. I mean, you have multiple of them uh, that are based in D.C. and Portland that all talked about it on Twitter, about how they were there and nothing is going to happen to them, essentially. And there's evidence of this. Yeah, there's evidence of this. There's and, video evidence, mm -hmm. social and media posts. There's social media posts. That's where the majority majority of them were posted to was Twitter. Have Were you ever questioned by the January 6th committee? No, I actually reached out multiple occasions, more times than I can count, because I was a witness to what I would argue one of the most significant deaths in American history. I wasn't investigated by MPD, not even interviewed by their homicide team, by the Capitol Police. When the FBI talked to me, they had no interest in what happened to Ashley Babbitt. All they wanted to talk about was John Sullivan and my connection to him which was, you know, a very peculiar thing, and they tried to set up an in-person meeting with me. And, of course, it wasn't what it was supposed to be. They were trying to entrap me. Uh, I had two phones hacked and basically completely wiped. And amongst that, I mean, the harassment has just been nonstop. Okay, this is Gestapo. This is not the great United States of America where a constitutional republic has a bill of rights and amendments and things that say we are free this isn't freedom this is anarchy thank you mm -hmm. thank, thank you. you representative nels you're recognized apologize if i'm a little late i'm in another committee hearing important business faa reauthorization we all want to have safe flights um I, I got involved with this real early on. I, you know, I was in Congress for three days. 
I think Marjorie, you too. We were in Congress for three days when this all took place. Um, uh, I was probably the last member, if not the last member on the House floor that day. I'm an old law enforcement officer as a, for 30 years as a sheriff of a large county for eight years. So I stood at the back doors, the main back doors leading into the, into the, uh, the uh, chambers. I uh, had a conversation uh, with an individual on the outside. And, and anyway, um, it was a, a few weeks after that that I was approached by uh, then Majority Leader uh, Kevin McCarthy asking me to produce, to read the Senate version, the Senate reports, because you know the Senate, the Senate had some hearings early on, I think it was in March and April. So Kevin McCarthy approached me and, and asked me to, to read all those reports and, and write a report on what my feelings and my thoughts were uh, because of my extensive law enforcement experience. And I did so. I provided him a 14-page document. And, and when I looked at the report and the OIG recommendations, and everything that I saw, what was wrong that day, January 6th, folks, was a law enforcement failure, an epic law enforcement failure. When you, Kevin, uh, Leader McCarthy, now Speaker McCarthy, asked me to be one of the five on the January 6th Select Committee, uh, I, I was honored to be asked, to, and then obviously Nancy Pelosi did what nobody else has done as Speaker, rejected Minority Leader's picks to be on a Select Committee. So we weren't on the committee, and she picked a couple of rhinos that, and, and that whole committee is all about Donald Trump. Anyway, so when you look at January 6th and you read the special event assessments because I, I spent a lot of time on this and when you look at the December 15th the December 30th and the January 3rd special events assessment we knew that things weren't going to get ugly up here it was quite clear we knew that the Capitol itself they they meaning the leadership of the Capitol Police i.e. an assistant chief uh, Pittman who's no longer here they had all the intelligence they had all the intelligence that it was going to get ugly up here. Extremist groups from both sides, white supremacist groups, I mean, high propensity for violence. They knew thousands of people were coming. And it was, it was glaring in that January 3rd report. It was on page 12 out of the 14. And it said things are getting stupid. And, and I believe, me personally, I believe that they hid the intelligence. It's like they wanted this to happen. I say that because you remember Harry Dunn, one of the first officers, he testified, he was one of the four. Harry Dunn's testimony says, he goes, I didn't think it was going to be any different than any other day. Kind of like the million, the, the big marches they had November and December, relatively nonviolent. He didn't think this was going to be like any other day. And so when you look at the, the hours and hours of video, you see most of the Capitol Police officers don't have any type of shields or stuff. It, it, was, a, it was the Metropolitan Police that came prepared. But the U.S. Capitol Police, I spent some time and I focused, I focused a lot of my time on the shooting of, uh, and the killing of Ashley Babbitt. I document this very well. I was probably one of the first. I think, Paul, uh, you said it as well. I believe Ashley Babbitt was murdered that day. Now, you say, well, how could you say that? I said, well, I'm a sheriff. I've, I've had deputies shoot and kill people. I've had my own deputies shot and killed. The point is, I know a little bit about use of force. And what disturbed me? about that investigation into Lieutenant Byrd is it never went to a grand jury. You want to have the vote of confidence of the American people. Send every law enforcement shooting, justified, questionable, whatever. Send it to a grand jury. It never went to a grand jury. Most of the people at Capitol Police will even tell you. They'll tell you that, hey, this was a quick investigation. 
Lieutenant Byrd, and I hope when we have a new president in two years that he goes to a grand jury. That shooting should go to a grand jury. And that's my commitment to you, Ashley, uh, to Ms. Babbitt. If I can do anything, uh, that should go to a grand jury at a minimum. My, my point is, is I'm just going to leave you at this. When, when you look at those uh, special event assessments in that January 3rd, I had an opportunity to talk to then the National Guard commander. And I said to him, I said, General, I said, if you read that report, the National Guard should have been on our nation's capital on January 4th. He agreed with me. If you would have read the report, it justified, the intelligence was there, and General Walker said to me, the National Guard would have been on our nation's capital on January 4th like the intelligence suggested. January 6th would have never happened. So then what happens? We win the House, and where does Ms. Pittman go? She's got a nice cushy job now, UC Berkeley, making three hundred to two hundred and something thousand dollars a year. Nancy found her a job. Nancy found her a job. Apparently, Matt, I guess she was up here last week for House Admin, I don't know, but I wish I had five minutes with her. Because I'm telling you, if there's one person that to me could have prevented this from taking place, it's Miss Pittman. And she should be held accountable. Because it was one of the darkest days in our nation's history. One of the darkest days, and they just sat on the intelligence. Shameful. We can never allow it to happen again. Um, and and I'm going to end with this. But uh, Marjorie was talking about everybody, Donald Trump speaking in the ellipse. The first breach that took place at about 1.10 p.m., Donald Trump was still speaking. It was a 22-block walk. It takes you a half hour to walk from. So, no. And you see Ray, Mr. Ray. Pee, 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 Right? Which when the guy's ear boom. And they put bicycle racks. Think about that. Tens of thousands of people coming up. What are we going to have for a perimeter? A damn bicycle rack that couldn't keep your cat in your yard. Right? I mean, none of this just made sense. So these are some of the things we wanted to do on that select committee because I thought I could have exposed them for who they truly are. This is all about Donald Trump coming back in 2024. Shame on them. But the greatest leader in my lifetime, folks, keep the faith. He's coming back. Okay, that was Representative Troy Nels, N-E-H-L-S, out of Texas. And as he mentioned, he was a sheriff for eight years. He understands use of force. In his professional expert opinion, Ashley Babbitt was murdered. And the person who pulled the trigger was Lieutenant Byrd. Lieutenant Byrd has suffered no consequences no accountability, no thrown in a in a 24-hour cell uh, like these J6ers have been. Where is the justice for Ashley Babbitt? Now, I'm going to say something that's going to be controversial. But if she were not a white female veteran, but if she were black and shot by a policeman... All hell would have broken loose across this country. But because she's a white female veteran, apparently the mainstream, lamestream media doesn't care. Nor do people across the country who are living in la-la land not realizing that J6 represents something much greater because this is a small group of people, relatively speaking, out of our population who have been maltreated 
for expressing their First Amendment rights. And we already heard that the police instigated this with their shooting these things into the crowds, people caught on fire and so forth. So there's some splaining to do. But Ashley Babbitt should never have lost her life that day. Now, do I think that she exceeded perhaps what she should have in terms of going into the building? Maybe. I don't know. I'm not an expert. But I know that when they were burning down Portland, as as the other gentleman Hansen said, or they were burning down Seattle, they weren't shooting to kill these people. We're going to take a break. You're listening to The Jen Charlton Show, and we'll be right back. Welcome back. This is Jen, and we are playing today the J6 hearing that was held as a what they call a field hearing in Congress, actually in the Visitor Center. So I was able to walk in with without any difficulty to observe as a public person. So anybody can go to these. And I really recommend you keep your eyes on what's going on uh, and attend these if you can and, and you have an interest. So this was this past week. And the next person I'm going to play is Ed Martin, who represents three defendants and has seen quite a bit from inside the judicial system as well. So let's take a listen and we'll we'll move through this pretty quickly. Here you go. Congressman Gates, I, I represent three of the of the defendants also uh, as an attorney and uh, that are in the jail here. And I, uh, I'm on the board of one of the organizations, the Patriot Freedom Project, that tries to help the families. And, and it's how I know so many of these witnesses that are extraordinary uh, today. So thank you for this. And broadly speaking, my testimony, which I'll uh, summarize and co- cover a few points, overlaps with some of my colleagues up here. But it is this. It's that the system that we rely on and the due process that's at the heart of America has been denied to the individuals here. And when I say that, it's not uh, due process being denied. It's not, it's not an assertion. It's a description of corruption in the system. I, and so as we go through this, things like speedy trial, delayed. I've been on the calls with the judges where uh, one after another, the speedy trial is told, the calendar that you move it along is told for good reasons, except that the reasons are created by the system that has caused delays based on uh, uh, evidence, based on videos. The... Um, the uh, Leaking, by the way, uh, of the prosecutors and others about individuals, about their personalities, their families, has been not just mean and unkind, terribly nasty. It's also impacted the juries. And we see it. If you go into those courts, you see it. And you wonder why the legal system, the judges, hasn't addressed it. You wonder how they could say over and over again that the people should suffer through this when our system doesn't doesn't uh, expect that. Um, Again, if the, if the select committee, back to the select committee for a moment, if their conduct was only detrimental to the politicians or politics or even the individuals, it would be one thing. That at, at this panel with uh, candor, defamation, slander, being mean or terrible, we don't want it to be what we see out of our uh, Congress. But we, this conduct is different, though. That select committee had an impact not only on the jury pool, but on the judges. If you can get a lawyer in that system that practices in the district courts in D.C., to be honest with you, even the liberals, they'll say they've never seen this happen like this. They've never seen a dynamic where the judges and others act like this. 
In my uh, testimony, I, I, I want uh, here I want to highlight uh, five areas uh, just to bring a light to it. I'm happy to expound on this in other places. But the improper charging alluded to uh, by General uh, Clark, uh, the Department of Justice, people that should have been dealt with as if they vandalized a car at a football game or trespassed on property at a school were charged with all those misdemeanors and then they added a charge called obstruction of official proceeding. This charge was created by Andrew Weissman and his crew 15 or 20 years ago and managed by Lisa Monica and her crew and added as a way to say, and our, our witnesses can tell you about it, well you're charged with a misdemeanor, 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 oh and a felony. 20 years in jail. It's, it's absolutely improper. It's never been charged. It was never intended for a proceeding that was gaveled in or gaveled out. It was witness tampering. It's a lie by the DOJ in federal court, and they don't address it. Targeting American citizens as terrorists instead of protesters. All of these men, mostly men, that, that stayed in jail for years before trial did so because they said it was an armed insurrection, not a protest. If it was a protest, they'd all go home and prepare their defense. Instead, they stayed in a terrible prison. You all know that. And uh... So the armed insurrection is a lie. In fact, I know when I went down to D.C. on many of these different events, everybody was told, do not bring anything into D.C. because it's, it's not legal. So anybody who was paying attention and, and following the law knew you couldn't come in there. And, and so... This idea that it was a uh, armed insurrection is a total lie. And nobody has been charged with insurrection. They had to trump up these other charges that Ed Martin is referring to at this time. Taylor Green, the congresswoman, has particularly shown a light, as did your former colleague, Louis Gohmert. The D.C. juries are not impartial. It's so blatant and brazen that as the, as, the, as the court ends, the juror goes out and is interviewed on C-SPAN by Brian Lamb. And she says, I knew what it all meant. I decided to tell the, my fellow jurors what it all meant. And she clearly, in the interview, didn't understand the law. Nothing. Mr. Martin, your time's yep. expired. Okay. We'll, we'll be back to you okay. with questions, I'm sure, to probe those matters. The next opportunity is to hear... Brandon Straka is his name, the gentleman who was a well-known personality, and they targeted him because of his high visibility. Let's listen to his testimony. Much for holding this hearing. Brandon Strock, I'm the founder of the Walkway Campaign and the proprietor of the Walkway Social Mobile App. On January 6, 2021, I was in Washington, D.C. as a scheduled speaker for a permitted event on the grounds of the U.S. Capitol. I sat in the front row at the Ellipse that day listening to President Trump speak. It made perfect sense to me when President Trump told the hundreds of thousands of attendees to march peacefully and patriotically to the Capitol as the event was called the March to Save America. And it was my understanding that the crowd would march to the Capitol and attend the permitted rally to listen to dozens more speakers. As I was approaching the Capitol for my speaking obligation, I began receiving text messages from people around the country at home watching on television saying that they were hearing on the news that people were going inside the building. My first thoughts were of the numerous times throughout the years that left-wing protesters have gone inside government buildings to protest. In several instances, left-wing protesters have disrupted government hearings by shouting out and behaving chaotically, and typically the incident ends with protesters being removed and business resuming as normal. 
After years of attending and producing dozens and dozens of right-wing rallies and events, what I was being told was highly unusual. So I began shooting a video while approaching the Capitol and proceeded to shoot one long continuous video for about 10 minutes. I arrived on the east side Capitol grounds around 2.40 p.m. As I walked up to the Capitol building on the east side, there were zero, zero police officers visible on the east side grounds. What might have been at one time closed barricades were now fully open. The large sidewalk on the east side was fully open and unobstructed. There were thousands of people strewn about all areas of the east side grounds, calmly talking and enjoying each other's company. There were no signs and no people present stating or indicating that people were not allowed to be where they were at the time I arrived. I walked very calmly up to the crowd on the east side steps. In my video, a man is seen shouting down to the people below, they've opened the doors, we're going in. I continued to the top of the east side steps and filmed a crowd of people for eight minutes, some of whom were trying to make their way in, most of whom were outside filming, like myself. I never entered the Capitol on January 6th. I never engaged in any violence, vandalism, theft, or destruction. I uploaded the video I'd shot to Twitter, but removed it a, a few short hours later when I was back in my hotel room and began to see on the television for the first time the images of people breaking windows and, engage and engaging in acts of violence. None of that was happening when I was on the east side grounds during the 40 minutes or so that I was present. So I took my video down. However, it had already been copied by left-wing trolls who began reposting it over and over again every day and demanding that the FBI arrest me. Two and a half weeks later, they got their wish. A team of FBI agents raided my home on the morning of Monday, January 25th. I was gotten out of bed and handcuffed and told that I was facing multiple felony charges for what I had done on January 6th. The agents began stripping my apartment of computers, phones, iPads, thumb drives, hard drives, camera equipment, clothing, and more. I was taken to jail, strip searched, given an orange inmate uniform, locked in an 8x8 concrete cell with a metal door, and told that I was being placed in 23-hour lockdown. I was released from jail Wednesday morning later that week. Upon my release, I learned that I was being charged with two felonies and a misdemeanor and threatened to be charged with the obstruction of an official preceding felony in addition, uh, which the prosecutor was sure to tell us carries the possibility of a 20-year prison sentence. Interestingly, one of my felony charges was occupying restricted grounds. The majority of people who entered the Capitol were being given misdemeanor occupying restricted building charges. I was being given a felony for being outside of the building. I was also charged with another felony because the FBI initially alleged that, sh that I shouted out to encourage the crowd to impede law enforcement. I was also charged with a misdemeanor for disorderly conduct with an intent to disrupt a hearing before Congress. The news of my arrest and the allegations around me, which I had no opportunity whatsoever to defend myself against, spread internationally during the days when I was in jail. The media reported as a matter of fact that I went to the Capitol to help attack police officers and to en encourage violence and mayhem at the Capitol. When I was released from jail, I went back to my apartment and found a letter taped to my door saying that my building was terminating my month-to-month -month lease due to the media coverage and that I had 30 days to vacate the building. Seven days later, I received a letter in the mail from the government telling me that my TSA pre-check status was revoked and that I was no longer considered a low-risk traveler. 
Over the course of the next several weeks, I received notice that I am permanently banned by PayPal, Venmo, Stripe, and Patreon. My organization's Walkaway Foundation and Walkaway Campaign Pack were also permanently banned from, being, uh, from using these payment processors and additionally banned from our donor portals. Both of my organizations and I were banned from our email service, MailChimp. So we moved to Constant Contact, who took our account for a short time, then also banned us after numerous left-wing instigators contacted them to tell them that I was a violent insurrectionist using their platforms to raise money for political violence. Mr. Straka, that's the end of, uh, of your time, but I think we'll get back to you for questions, if that's all right. Okay. If that doesn't blow your mind, let me give you a little bit more about Brandon Straka's saga. Yield back. Uh, thank you. I'm going to recognize myself for questions. Mr. Straka, you were, you were describing uh, some of the blacklisting uh, that you encountered in your life following these events. Is there? Can you elaborate on that? Okay. Um, well, where I'd left off, I'd said that um, I'd been permanently banned by PayPal, Venmo, Stripe, Patreon, my donor. And I was in uh, D.C. on January 6th as a private citizen, uh, not on behalf of any of my organizations. Nonetheless, uh, my organization, the Walkaway Foundation and the Walkaway Campaign PAC, both were permanently banned by PayPal. Uh, and, and Stripe and number of uh, payment processors as well as donor portals. Uh, we were first banned by MailChimp as an email service because it was said that we were using the email service to uh, send and receive emails about planning violence or fundraising uh, for political violence. Constant Contact uh, then banned us and after that we were banned by four more email services including SendLane and MailerLite. Um, we, um, Let me stop you there. Sure. Uh, we have developed evidence indicating that Bank of America turned over all of their records regarding anyone who bought a cup of coffee in Washington, D.C. on January 6th. Um, I, uh, I want to know what your perspective is on that, on the fact that uh, such a large private company would, of their own volition, uh, turn over so much stuff and seemingly violate people's privacy. Well, I think it's horrifying, and I, obviously I think that there's an attempt here to try to understand uh, who's funding whom. Uh, certainly there was this, uh, an interest uh, in who gives to my organization, things like that. Uh, I'm, I'm personal friends since January 6th with a, a fellow J6 defendant named Derek Evans, who's running for Congress in West Virginia. Um, a major bank told him that they were canceling his bank mortgage and that he had 30 days to find a new bank to finance his, his bank mortgage. I mean, while going in th in, uh, through the, the most high-profile criminal case in American history. So I want to build on what happened to Derek Evans because I've met Derek Evans at a J6 event in Baltimore probably two months ago. The man's amazing. And in spite of what he's been through, he is running for Congress to try and make change. So I hope that you'll support him. But they burst into his house when his wife was moved to the hospital to have their fourth baby. So while she's having a baby, he has three young ones he needs to take care of because he had three children already. They come in and raid him and attack, basically, Derek Evans. What they have done, this system of corruption, is so unconscionable, it's so reprehensible, it's so beyond the pale that this is the United States of America no more. Continuing with Mr. Straka. 
open the door to the need for the Congress to look at legal reforms so that uh, we don't see people of any political stripe barred from the financial world by virtue of their of their nonviolent politics? I mean, somehow we, the defendants of January 6th, need to be able to have some sort of a voice. I mean, even I am probably one of the most high profile people who was arrested in conjunction with January 6th. Nonetheless, I felt like it was a David versus Goliath situation. I mean, I could not keep up with the amount of, of banning and cancellation and, I mean, payment processors, email services, donor portals. The government put me on a terrorism watch list along with every other J6er. We all have a designation of what's called Quad S. So when we go to the airport now, we have to go through hours of special screening. It's literally TSA told me this is the highest level terrorism list you can be on and still be allowed to fly. They follow you around the airport uh, with teams of agents sometimes they have dogs they station themselves all around you at the gate they bring special equipment and uh, swab every item in your bag for explosive materials your hands your feet stick their hand down your pants doing pat-downs they do all of this in front of the other passengers multiple times when you're flying people with misdemeanor charges misdemeanor disorderly conduct charges well this is very helpful because during the appropriations process we can put riders uh, to prohibit the use of funds on some of the things that would seemingly violate people's due process mr strand i wanted your advice on a legislative concept i've been talking about with some of my colleagues and it's on the matter of venue because we've seen a number of defendants drug into the jurisdiction of washington dc and uh, then they face a different jury dynamic than they would otherwise face elsewhere in the country. What would be your advice to the Congress about looking at some venue reform uh, to give, give defendants uh, the ability to face these charges where they're from? This is John Strand, who uh, was security detail that day for Dr. Simone Gold and has been, uh, is now facing three years of imprisonment. Stand by. Well, thank you, Congressman, and I, I couldn't stress the importance of that more. Um, I, I'm going to take it back from the future and say, right now, I am about to walk in, I'm about to go to prison for almost three years. I did nothing wrong, and the only reason that happened, uh, not the only reason, but the main reason it happened so easily, is because I was denied the constitutional guarantee of a fair trial by a jury of my peers. Not only that, but my sentence was worsened by a judge who explicitly said from the bench on the record, read the transcript, that he was furious at me for criticizing the government publicly. Specifically, he was furious at me for making the claim, which is my First Amendment protected right to do, but the evidence bears it out, that Washington, D.C. juries are entirely biased, flagrantly so. Uh, if, if I could tell the short story of my experience during my eight-day trial, the most interesting part was day one, which was jury selection. And this was not a random assortment of citizens fulfilling their civic duty to participate in a jury trial. These were people that were hanging on every moment, hoping to get chosen so that they could experience the personal gratification of, of crucifying someone that they politically despise. They, they, they openly admit this. Very important, that venue issue. Mr. Mr. Clark, uh, I have a question for you specifically. Do you believe you were framed by the January 6th Select Committee? Oh, absolutely, Congressman, I do. I think that, uh, you know, I, I 
was the only uh, person at the Justice Department, you know, at a significant level, you sent a confirmed spot, who was interested in investigating the election. Well, I know that to be the case, Mr. Clark, and the reason I know that to be the case, and I'm glad I get to say it here in a public forum, is because I became aware of evidence that U.S. attorneys were developing showcasing fraud in the election. And, and perhaps that evidence would lead nowhere, perhaps it would lead to the crime of the century, but it should not have been squelched. And Bill Barr was suppressing evidence and stopping it from being developed that showcased irregularities, and, and not just irregularities, fraud, where people were fraudulently requesting those ballots. And I told my friend Scott Perry that on the floor, that I was aware of that evidence. And now I believe uh, we see you and we see our colleague Scott Perry unfairly targeted, and I want you and the world to know that if you had a willingness to stop the U.S. Department of Justice from rat-holing cases and squirreling away information that would have been helpful to learn on that day, you were acting your patriotic duty to do so. And I, I am deeply ashamed as a member of this government, particularly at the way you've been treated. Uh, okay. So that was Representative Matt Gates, who's absolutely been heroic in, like a dog on a bone, in getting this information out and dealing with the reality of what's really been going on. I want to take us to one more um, spot where we are going to talk about this abuse of power and the manipulation of the judicial system against we the people. This is Representative Gosar, who is asking the questions. Ms. Pelosi made this, uh, made this comment. That President Trump has a right to a trial to prove his innocence. <laughs> this uh, is exactly what's transpired with anybody that was arrested on January. This is an inversion of our system, right? We have a presumption of innocence. And indeed, I heard this from Benny Thompson, who we've talked about as the chair of this wayward and lawless January 6th Select Committee. After I, uh, because I realized that they were, you know, lining me up as one target, who is speaking is Assistant Attorney General Jeff Clark, who worked in the DOJ system and was standing up for what was righteous against the powers that be. Here you go, Jeff Clark. Uh, in their uh, in their hearings, I refused. Uh, I had initially refused, based on executive privilege, which I was instructed to take and invoke uh, on on law enforcement privilege, with the which the Justice Department instructed me to invoke uh, on lawyer client privilege. You name it. The January sixth committee rejected it. I could see where they were headed, so I took the the Fifth Amendment privilege, which uh, the innocent under Supreme Court case law are entitled to take as well. Benny didn't stop Benny Thompson, the chairman. He went on MSNBC with Rachel Maddow, and he said that if you take the Fifth Amendment, that's part and parcel of being guilty. Wow. So now the Fifth Amendment is part and parcel of you admitting guilt. Stunning. They didn't say that to some of their compadres in the past. It's stunning where we are. I want to wrap up the show by saying we have to take action and get in communication and stand up against the system using our voice, our, our, our emails, our phone calls. You need to reach out to your Congress people. I don't care what party they're in.
You need to reach out to your local representatives. Frankly, you need to reach out to the be involved with the boards of elections who are part of this mess. And you need to show up. And you need to also let these attorney generals and state's attorneys and people within this DOJ system know that we are watching them. And they do not have carte blanche to abuse we the people so that they can regain and retain power. You've been listening to the Jen Charlton Show, and I want to thank you for being here. Please share this on podcast. Listen next Saturday morning at 9 a.m. right here on Free Talk 930 WFMD.